The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. I hope you're feeling well. I'm glad you're here. I know that so many in our church family have been dealing with sickness, and so I'm glad you're here, and if that's been you, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here and back. Um, I'm excited for this morning. Um, before we get into our text, I, I want to make you aware of these. Um, these, so last year, give you some context, last year we walked through the book of Titus together, and during that journey, we we grab these. We weren't sure how they were going to be used. We weren't sure if they were going to be beneficial. We weren't sure, but we wanted to see if they could possibly be a tool for us as a church. And so what we heard as we walked through Titus was incredible, that they were used as a tool, that they were a great tool for many of you. So as we approach Romans, we wanted to do the same thing. We wanted to do the same thing again. So these are um, journal Bibles, basically, for the book of Romans. The idea here is really simple. On one side, you're going to have your text. On the other, you have a big blank canvas with uh, lines for you to take notes, for you to make references, for you to basically journal through. If there's things that you want to come back to, things you want to study deeper, you can, you can do that. So I encourage you, grab one for yourself. Um, grab one. We have several here, and I hope it's a tool that in, it, it encourages you, that you can use. Um, grab one with you, and, and bring it back to church. That's a, that's a good thing as well. So grab one with you. Um, like I said last week, we are we're jumping into Romans, and we're, we're going to spend the next three weeks in the greeting of Romans, or the next two, uh, in the greeting of Romans. We started last week here, and, and what we looked at when we, when we started in is we looked at the Paul, the author. We talked about um, Paul, who, who, his conversion. We looked at Acts 9. We looked at that moment when God just changes Paul and calls him to himself. And and really, last week, we looked at two big ideas. We looked at conversion, and we looked at calling. Conversion and calling. That Jesus saves us, and that Jesus calls us to his work. More than that, we talked about that those two people are not different people. That those whom Jesus saves, Jesus calls to be about his work, conversion and calling, that those he calls to himself, he calls to go. That's what we looked at last week. Um, Here, we're going to press on, we're going to go a little deeper into this greeting. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Romans 1. Um, While we're getting there, I want to start with a question for us to consider. Um, I'll just throw it out there. Does the Old Testament matter for us today? (laughs) Good. I'm glad you're, yes. Should it matter? Question, why should it matter? How about this? Does the Old Testament matter as much as the New Testament? I like that. For the New Testament 
church. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus changed everything, amen? He changed, he changed everything, so why not just skip ahead? I mean, if it's true, which it is, that all the Old Testament, the writings, the prophets, they all point us forward to the coming Messiah. They say, repent, he's coming, he's coming. If that's really what they were saying, why not skip ahead to what they were talking about? Why not just talk, with, talk about what they were pointing to? I think we need to push into this a little bit. I think we need to push into this a little bit. I think there's something here that we need to wrap our minds around. And the question is, what is the relationship between the Testaments? And what should our relationship as the New Testament church be with the Old Testament scriptures? And I want you to hear me. The Old Testament is vital for you. It is foundational, necessary. It is inspired. It is the word of God. We have one God, the same yesterday, today, forever. There is one scripture. Having said all that, though, I want to do some reframing for us this morning um, as we get into this. Um, So let me ask you a question. How many of you have an old iPhone? Rocking an old version. I bet you're not rocking one like this. This is, this little bitty thing, this little thing is the iPhone 4. I think it's the best one they've ever made. I really do. I loved this phone. Um, and in this hand, I have the flagship, the, the iPhone 11 now. So I have an iPhone 4, and I have an iPhone 11. I think if we're not careful we can really easily fall into the trap of thinking about our Bibles like an iPhone 4 and an iPhone 11. What I mean by this is, is if I'm giving one of these away, if I'm just going to say, hey, come up, and you get to choose which one you want, which one would you choose? Come on now. You choose this one. You choose, you choose this one. Although this one, okay, in this hand right here, I have the iPhone 4, like I said, great in its day. I think one of the best phones Apple has ever, has ever made. Um, completely irrelevant. This thing is completely outdated. If you had this phone, if you were, you know, rocking this phone, good luck getting any app to work. It just can't update anymore. It just can't, it no longer can handle the updates. It doesn't have the bells and whistles. I mean, one lousy camera, three. Like, like, no bells and whistles on this. And did I mention battery? Like, good luck getting this sucker to hold a charge, right? Um, it would be rough. But yet on this hand, we have the Pro. We have the, the 11. We have the flagship. We have full battery life. I mean, exceptional battery life. We have all the apps were made to work on this phone. You don't even need to update this phone because it is the update. Like, it just comes this way, right? And the battery life, the cameras, face recognition, it's all here. If I were to offer these to you, you would choose updated over outdated. You would choose relevant over irrelevant. And if we aren't careful, 
we can approach our scripture without meaning to, because we know we need to value the Old Testament. Uh, at least I hope you do. But with, without realizing it, we can approach our Bible like this. We can approach our Old Testament like this, like it's an ancient set of stories that were really good in their time. Like They were so good in their time. Um, just incredible. It, it, we can tell them to our kids, like David and Goliath. We have Jonah and that crazy whale, Jericho and those walls. Um, Moses, Pharaoh, all fun, all good. But now the New Testament came. Now we're, we're given the updated, the new word to us. I want to challenge us this morning as much as I possibly can to shake that framework out of our minds as much as we possibly can to think about our Bibles in a different way not as a collection of separate stories that are great and good in their day, but as one story, one grand story, uh, not a collection to be taken in isolation, but one story, one grand story that's unfolding in every single book and chapter of the Bible you hold. Our Bible, Scripture presents us with one redemption story, with one plot, with a, with a hero, with the villain. One story. The whole of Scripture, our hero is Jesus, the villain is Satan, sin, flesh, evil throughout this book. It's one grand redemptive story. One real-life real rescue story where the Son of God, the hero, rescues those whom he loves from the villain, from death, from hell, from the grave. He rescues us. And here's what I need you to see here. That rescue mission, that rescue story did not begin in Matthew. Did not be begin with the pages of your New Testament. This rescue plan of redemption starts in the beginning. In the beginning, in the very beginning of creation, in the very first pages of your Bible. So I want to do something that is going to be kind of crazy, and we're going to go fast. I want to show you just a little bit of what I mean. Just a little bit. Oh, I could go deeper. But you don't want that. We'll be here all day. I'm going to do my best with the time we have. And I want, to, I, want to see, I want to see this from our Bibles. Now, as I say this, I do not think for a minute, and I'm not asking you to follow along with me in your Bibles, unless you're just super competitive and kind of Bible drill kind of geared, and you want to be like, yes, I can. You can do it. Um, but for the rest of us, I'm going to put it on the screen. I'm going to put these scriptures on the screen. So what I'd like to do is take a moment to reframe and to see the bigger story. Let's start in Genesis. Let's start in Genesis. God just created the world, everything out of nothing, created man in his own image. It was wonderful. It was very good, exceedingly good. And it did not take long. For some of you, you only have to flip the page once 
to get to Genesis 3, when we read about man questioning God, his goodness, his commands, believing that feeble man knows better than almighty God. In Genesis 3, we read about the first sin, about what we call the fall, this dark, this tragic day when everything broke, everything fell apart. We read about it in Genesis, Genesis 3. When man who once walked with God in perfect communion, just wrap your mind around that one, is now expelled from his presence and cursed along with everything else. And in Genesis 3, we get introduced to the villain. Seen here as a serpent, we see our villain. And in Genesis 3, we get the first spoiler alert for what is to come. We read right in Genesis 3 a reference to the story that's about to unfold. God looks the villain, the serpent, in the eye and says, hey, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his hill. In other words, one day one of Eve's offspring will be born and he will, he will bruise, he will crush your head under his heel. One day, a son of Eve will sever the head of the villain. Right here in the first pages of your Bible, you get a glimpse of the grand story that is starting to unfold, that is starting to roll out, and it's big. From Adam, Eve, Noah, Babel, we move on into Abraham's story. I could pull out a lot, but God appears to Abraham He appears to him and makes this profound promise to him. Says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I want you to hear this. I will bless those who bless you. And to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you. In other words, already the plan was bigger than our man Abraham. Already the plan was redemption and blessing and rescue for all the nations. Already there was this gigantic story that was unfolding through Adam, Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through the 12 sons of Jacob. Um, We read about in Genesis 49, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. That's one of Jacob's sons, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. In other words, uh, this plan's not done. This plan starts in Genesis. It doesn't end in Genesis. It goes right through. It rolls forward through all of the ups and all of the downs, through all of the failures. God is faithful. God is faithful to his plan. And then we see our Bibles move us into Moses. Moses this story of God rescuing his people, not forgetting his plan. I could pull out so many things from Moses' story, from Passover, the law, to Pharaoh, but I'm going to pull out my favorite because I get to choose. Um, Numbers 21. I love this story. So what happened here is there was a grumbling people who were bit by snakes. It was awful. People were dying. It was terrible. And so they come to Moses in Numbers 21 And they said, we have sinned. We've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he will take away these serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, 
Take this one in. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Church, what a beautiful glimpse of Jesus that is. We read that Jesus... To save the sinner, he who knew no sin became sin, and that we who are sinners now look at him, and when we do, we are healed. In this text, we have this glimpse, this crazy little glimpse of a story that is unfolding. We're reminded that it is not done. We move from Moses to judges, judges to kings, The plan unfolds. We get to David. I can't skip David. We get to David where God says to David, just listen to this, uh, 2 Samuel 7, when your days are, are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In other words, David, David, there is one coming. One coming through your line, and he will establish the kingdom. The plan will continue. All that is broken will be fixed through his kingdom being established. The plan pushes on. The plan's unfolding. And things don't go great. If you read your Bible, you read about the kingdom of Israel, Judah, they falter, they flounder, they're eventually taken captive and exiled. And even in that, we're reminded through the prophets, through the, both the major, the minors, prophets like Micah, Jeremiah, Malachi, Isaiah, prophets like Zechariah who says this, oh, great, uh, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, all in unison, proclaiming to us there is one story unfolding here. There is one hero of our story, and he is coming The Old Testament is not a group of cool stories that are loosely connected by an idea of a God. Now, each of these stories are a part of a grand story. Either each chapters and a bigger book, they each fit together. We're going to come back to these. We're going to come back to these. But for now, this sets the stage for where we are in Romans. In Romans 1, we are tapping into this story that was already unfolding. We're tapping back into it. In fact, um, at this point, think about where the saints would have been in Rome who received this letter. All they had was the Old Testament scriptures that pointed to Jesus. All they had was they had seen Jesus in the flesh, the one that was predicted and promised And it was in this place that Paul now writes these words that we're going to dig into here. So with that story 
that's unfolding. With that in your mind, let's focus on Romans 1, specifically verse 2 through 4. Paul here is talking about the gospel of God. The gospel of God. And look at this. Paul says, the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. Pause, meaning that's not new. This was promised. This was the story continuing on. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Again, this is the Old Testament which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh. In other words, we just read 2 Samuel 7. Look back at the word of God that says, David, hey, when you die, there's going to come one after you, and he's going to reign and rule forever. His kingdom will be forever. Remember the promised one, the story unfolding. Remember David, the son of David that was to come. He is here. He is Jesus. The Christ of the Old Testament is the Christ of the New Testament. Going back, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning a son who is descended from David according to the flesh, and listen to this, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The son of David is the son of God. What we read on the pages of the Old Testament, you witnessed in Jesus. You witnessed in his life. You witnessed in his death. You witnessed in the empty tomb. There is one story, one God, one Christ in all of this. Here is why I'm saying this this morning. Here's why I spent this much time on it. Paul is anchoring, not severing. Paul is anchoring, not severing. Paul is not saying, church, New Testament church, sever yourself. Cut yourself off from all of that crazy Old Testament stuff. Sever yourself from all of those outdated things, from the sacrificial system, done, from the law, done, from all those stories. Sever yourself from the cranky Old Testament God. Sever yourself from the old ways, the old writings. Church, Paul is not saying to sever yourself. He's not saying, hey, go grab your iPhone 4. Go recycle that mess. Just get rid of it. Recycle it. You don't need it. That is not what Paul is doing. This was not the relationship that Paul had with the Old Testament. This was not a call to sever church. This was a call to anchor. To anchor. He is encouraging us. Paul is encouraging us to see the big picture and plan of God. He's calling us to see Jesus in the Old Testament. He's not calling us to put the Old Testament down. He's calling us to pick it up and to see Jesus in it. He's dropping an anchor, an anchor that is firmly rooted. I asked at the beginning, what should our relationship be with the Old Testament today as the New Testament church? Anchored. That's our relationship. We must 
anchor ourselves in it. Jesus in one of the, is the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, don't think that I've come, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, Old Testament. Don't think that I have come to abolish that. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all, all is accomplished. Jesus says, look, I did not come to sever us from the Old Testament. I have come to anchor us in it. I have come to fulfill it. In other words, I'm not here to start a new thing, to begin a new story. I'm here to continue and to fulfill the story. Throughout the New Testament, throughout Paul's writings, listen, specifically, and this is the reason we're spending time with it here, in Romans, Paul is going to point us back to the Old Testament all throughout this book. All throughout this book, we're going to be dipping back in. We have to. Paul calls us to. And Paul doesn't intend for us to take Romans and to see it and understand it apart from the whole of Scripture, specifically apart from the Old Testament. Throughout Romans, starting right here in verse 2, throughout Romans, Paul drops the anchor and appeals to our anchor and calls us back to the whole of Scripture. I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 3, 16. that says, all Scripture is God-breathed, is, is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction. All, not some. All, not just the newer part. All. All Scripture So I want to draw a couple things out for us today from this. Understanding that we are anchored and not severed. Understanding that, I I want to draw something out here. The first thing I want to draw out is that this is going to impact the way we teach as a church. From the pulpit and from the home. This is going to impact the way that we teach as a church from the pulpit and from the home. First, from the pulpit. Let's think about this from the church. We are a New Testament church, but do not, you don't dare think that we are going to ignore or set aside the Old Testament. We are deeply committed, deeply committed to what we call a balanced diet here at Stone Oak. Um, Up to this point, we have walked through the New Testament books of James, Ephesians, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Corinthians, Titus, and some of Luke. We have also walked through the Old Testament books of Genesis, Joel, Ruth, Ecclesiastes, Jonah, Job, and Psalms. This church is intentional, and we will continue to be intentional about this. In fact, as you know, we're going to be in Romans for a while. You probably did the math. It's taken me two weeks to get to verse two. We're going to be here for a while. But even though we are going to take our time through Romans, we are going to take some dips into the Psalms this summer. We are going to be um, looking at the minor prophets this summer, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Malachi, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk. Why are we doing this? Well, it's because as a church, we 
desire to have a balanced diet of different authors from different testaments and different genres. We believe this is healthy for us. But it's more than just a church. It's more than just as a church. Um, This impacts your home. This impacts your home. I want to talk first to those of you who have kids. Do you teach your kids this? How do you teach your kids this? Do your kids see their Old Testament specifically as a group of really cool stories? Not knowing how they connect. Not knowing how they point. not Not knowing the bigger story. Do you know how they connect? Do you know the bigger story? Do you know how the parts fit into the whole? Uh, church, this is one of the main reasons that I, we are really excited to be giving these away. So these Jesus Storybook Bible um, are phenomenal. They're, they're written for kids. They're made for kids. Uh, but I'm telling you, any adult who goes through this with your kids will benefit. I did. I did. It just does this. It just wonderfully connects dots. And shows the big story and how things all fit together. It helps us center ourselves around what the big story is. I want to give you another tool um, that I want to recommend to all of our families. It, I hope everyone in this room has Right Now Media. I hope you do. If you don't, um, as a church, we'd love to gift it to you. What it is, is basically Netflix, Disney Plus, Prime Video, Hulu, whatever service is streaming these days. Um, What it basically is, is the Christian version of that with Christian content. So everything that you would, all the studies, all the content that you would ever hope to find are there and they're free for you. They're free to you. Um, It's a wonderful tool. Right now, on Right Now Media, there is this video called The Biggest Story. Um, It is incredible. It is artistic and wonderful. And it walks through, in the brightest way possible, it walks through the whole story, the biggest story. It walks through it, connecting everything to the central story. I want to encourage you as a family to, to watch this. My family has, and, and I want to encourage you to watch it as a tool that helps you connect and anchor. I want to go deeper, though. Um, let's talk about personally here. I know that in your study of Scripture, um, we ask questions like, um, what does this text say? We ask questions like, what does it mean, and how can we apply it? We ask these great questions when we come to Scripture. I want to encourage you to add an important question to your study. How does this fit? How does this fit? How does what I just read, how does it fit into the whole story, the whole of Scripture? It's a wonderful question, and it will stretch you. It will stretch you. This will impact. Seeing what Paul is setting before us here in Romans will impact the way we teach. 
the way we teach from our pulpit and the way we teach at home. It will impact it. But it's not just that. This will also strengthen our faith. I want to camp here for a little bit. Um, I don't know if, how many of you have ever prayed something like this. God, would you give me greater faith? Would you increase my faith? Um, would you strengthen my faith? I don't know if you've ever prayed that. I know I have. I know I have. Listen, I believe that understanding this is an answer to that prayer. I believe that God gave us this in its entirety to answer that prayer. Let me unpack this a little bit because I don't know if you've ever felt, maybe you haven't, I think you're crazy if you haven't felt this, but I have felt this. Everything in life, it seems like, is so fleeting. I mean, there's so many new crazes and fads and new ways to think about things, new philosophies, new ways of doing things, new teachings. They all come and they all go. Some stick around for a little bit, but over time, everything seems to get replaced with what is new. With the new idea, with the new thing, with the new fad. And in that kind of culture, in this culture, things can feel so fleeting. If everything is relative, and if everything is changing, then nothing is anchored. Everything is up for redefinition. And to have faith in anything is difficult at that point. In a world like that, in a world where everything is fleeting, in a world like that, is there any wonder why so many are beginning to claim that they are agnostic? There's just no way to know. There's no way to know. In a world like that, faith is fleeting in that kind of world. But I need you to hear me. Jesus is not like that. He is not like that. Jesus, this might sound strange, did not just come on the scene, pop onto the scene, greatest teacher ever, giving us new ideas, giving us new things, gaining followers. Many had come before him and did that. But Jesus didn't come to do that. Jesus didn't come on this earth as some kind of flash in the pan. This bam, there he is, he's gone, we remember his teachings, he's a really good man, really good teacher, good rabbi. Jesus is not like Socrates, he's not like Plato, he's not like Aristotle. Jesus is not like Epicurus, he's not like Seneca, he's not like the Buddha, he's not like Muhammad. Jesus is not like that. He did not come into the world like that. Jesus came as a part of of a much larger, much grander plan that was already in place. An eternal one, not a new one. And what this means is Jesus is not like any other teacher, any other man who had ever lived or who would ever come after him. Jesus is the eternal and singular plan of God that was set into motion before the world began. I want you to follow with me here. 
I want to show how all this can kind of build our faith. I want to pick up where we left off at the beginning. This means, church, that as you grab your Bible and you open to Genesis 3, and you read about the one who would come and who would crush the head of the enemy, when you read that, you can read that and say, yes and amen, that is Jesus. When you pick up your Bible and you read about Moses holding up a serpent, you can say yes and amen, that is Jesus. When you read about David, the one who would come, when you read about the prophets and the prophecies, all of them, okay, I got to pause here. Think about this. Let's think about the prophecies for a minute. This came from a much smarter man than me. If you're a math person, you'll love this. The chances of one person fulfilling eight prophecies are one in, that's a quadrillion. I had to look that up. The person fulfilling one of eight, that's it, one in quadrillion. A one person fulfilling, let's bump it, 48 prophecies. One in 10 to the 157th power. Literally, if you're not a math person, that does nothing to your brain. I get that. I'm, whew, quadrillion is already at kind of my max. But a person fulfilling 300 plus, 300 plus prophecies, Meaning, the story had already been rolling when Jesus showed up and said, I am he. So when we read this, when we read all of these 300 plus prophecies, we can read them and say, yes and amen, this is Jesus. And our faith grows. And our faith grows. As we anchor ourselves in the Old Testament, our faith grows. I want to end with what Peter says in, in 2 Peter 1, 16. He says, we don't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses, Peter says. He says, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. When that happens, Peter says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. We were there. But then listen to what Peter says. Oh, I love this. Peter says this, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. I love the way he says that. We have this, the prophetic word, the Old Testament, the writings, the law, the prophets, we have this more fully confirmed than Peter says, to which we will do well to pay attention. I love that. Meaning, don't you dare ignore it. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 
No prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because it wasn't man's story. This was God's story from the beginning of time. My hope this morning for all of us is that we will anchor ourselves. Anchor ourselves in Christ, his word, in the Old and New Testament, in all of Scripture, that our time in Romans will anchor us. And in doing this, that it will change the way we teach, change the way we interact with Scripture at church and at home, that we're going to see the bigger picture in Christ. And, and church, that our faith and our confidence in the gospel will grow. To that end, would you pray with me? Lord, we come to your word, we've, we've tackled, we've thought through a huge idea, this huge concept, Lord. We need your help. Our tendency so often is to think of ourselves separated and isolated, that we are the end-all, be-all that the struggles we face today, that the new ideas of the day, we get so often, we can get so derailed by them and not realize that we are anchored into an everlasting and eternal story that is so much bigger and so much better, so much beyond us. I, I pray that here in this moment, through your spirit, that you would give us eyes to see the big story how we fit, as small as it is, how we fit into that big story. God, would you give us the eyes to see? And God, we need your help to see. We need your help to see. I pray that for all of us who are followers of Jesus, who believe in Jesus, I pray that you would show us your place in the family, the people of God, that we are a part of a bigger story. That we as Stone Oak Bible Church are not just, although we're a four plus years old church, we are more than that. We are connected deeply into a story that began before time. Would you help us see how we are connected to that? And God, for all of us, for all of those here in this room who, who may not understand how we fit, may not understand the great love that God has shown us through Jesus, I pray that in this moment you would do a work and that you would open our eyes. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.